Hey everyone, welcome to the Oasis Church podcast. We are so honored that you would take a few minutes and you would join us, even if it's through an app on your phone right now. We're just honored that you would spend the time with us. And I want to encourage you, if you want to spend time with us in person, we would love to invite you to join us on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. at 197 Imperial Boulevard in Hendersonville, Tennessee. We would love to meet you. We'd love to pray for you. We'd love to serve you. So make plans to join us. But right now, I hope that you enjoy this message and we hope that it encourages you and it blesses you today. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the first Sunday at Oasis Church of 2024. Woo! feels so good. So good to be back. Lucy was like, we got in the car this morning. She said, I feel like I haven't been to church in two weeks. And I was like, because you haven't. So she was super pumped to be here today. Um, and so am I. So new year's means new resolutions for most people, right? Has anybody in this room made a resolution this year? Anybody? Uh, yeah, a little bit, a little bit. I'm not going to ask you if you've kept it. Don't worry. I'm not going to like do that. I didn't make a resolution because I, that stresses me out because I feel like I'm going to fail. So that's a, that's a whole like psychological thing I'll talk to my counselor about, I'm sure. But a lot of times the resolutions are like, I'm going to lose 10 pounds. You know, I'm going to wake up 15 minutes earlier. I'm going to give up coffee. And if that's your resolution, like, are you sad? Like, are you sad? That would make me very sad if I gave up coffee. Um, or maybe like, I'm going to go to the gym three times a week. I'm going to stop scrolling on my phone before bed. And those are all good resolutions. But did you notice that it's all I language, which is great when you're in a fight with your spouse and you say, I hear you saying blah, blah, blah. But those I statements when you're talking about yourself are very like self-centered, which isn't bad. But what if we decided that 2024 is the year that we look beyond ourselves and we really decide that we are going to make a difference in the relationships around us? What if this year is the year that we do that? Because here's what I know. Loneliness is a real issue. We're going to talk about it later, but loneliness has been like the Surgeon General has said, this is dangerous. Loneliness is a problem in our society. In fact, statistics would say that two out of three people in this room right now would say that they feel lonely. They say that they would feel alone. But do you know how many people are willing to talk about it? 12%. 12% of people are willing to talk about it, but 66% of people are feeling lonely. So our goal over the next two weeks is to show you and convince you that you need people and people need you. Right. You need people and people need you. So have you ever like needed somebody in your life? Like practically speaking, like just really needed some help. Yep. Um, there was one time uh, when I was younger, I had undiagnosed ADHD. Didn't know I had it and I had no coping skills. And um, my room was chaos. My sweet mom is in the room and she can tell you that my room was chaos all the time. I could like I could clean it, I could organize it, and then like two days later, it looked like a bomb went off. And um, my mom would beg me and like, you know, hey, if you don't clean your room, you're not going to fill in the blank. And I just, I couldn't do it because I couldn't focus. And every month or so, like a cleaning fairy would come into my room while I was at school and um, clean it because it's like a gift she has. I'm telling you guys, she came to my house yesterday morning. By the time I got home with Ellie at three o'clock, the, the house looked completely different. I was like, you've been here for five hours and my house is like spotless. So she still has the gift. The cleaning fairy visited me as an adult and it was wonderful. I'm very grateful. Um, but this was like right before the cleaning fairy came. My room was chaos. There was stuff all over the floor and I don't know exactly what was going on, but 
everybody else and Clint was up, were upstairs and I went down, I lived, I had a room in the basement. I went downstairs to get something and I was walking and all of a sudden my foot hurt really bad. And I had stepped on something that was not coming out of my foot and it did not feel good. And I was like, what is this? So thankfully I was really close to my chair and I went and I sat on it. Um, and I looked at it and it was a porcupine quill that was stuck in my foot. And I did say a porcupine quill, which you're probably like, that's really weird. Why did you have one of those? Um, I had just gotten back from Africa with my dad on like a mission trip thing. And I had bought like this hair thing. I have a picture of it. It doesn't look exactly like this, but it was kind of like this. And it had a porcupine quill in it. And I had not seen it on my floor and I stepped on it. And it was like, if this is my heel, this was the thing. It wasn't like, like that. It was parallel, not perpendicular. There's some math. And so I looked at it and I was like, okay, I can get this out. I'm a big girl. I can do this. And so I sit down and, you know, I start to pull and, um, the porcupine quill doesn't come out. My foot just moves with the porcupine quill because I don't know if you've ever seen a porcupine quill, like under a microscope. I also have a picture of that because I was like, they're not going to know what that looks like. Look, so these little, like, uh, that's the point. And then there's all of these little points and that likes to keep it embedded in whatever it's in. Um, so it was very stuck in my foot and I panicked and I was like, help, help, help me get out. And nobody came. Nobody came for like five minutes. I'm down there and I'm like, do I am, what is going on? And I couldn't walk because I was panicking. And finally Clint came and I feel like you were really grossed out by it. Like it was, it was weird. Who gets a porcupine quill stuck in their foot? Like that was weird, but I needed help because I could not do that on my own. And there's been other times in my life where I've needed like more deep help. Like when we lost our baby, we needed our small group around us. We needed people to come and they sat with us and they cried with us and they prayed with us and they were just there with us, but they were only there with us because they knew what was going on. They knew that we were pregnant and then they knew that we weren't. And so they were with us. And I can't imagine going through that experience and not having them with us, but I know that that happens all the time. I know that there are families who lose babies and nobody knows. I know that there are people whose marriages are hanging on by a thread, but nobody knows. There are people who have gotten this really, really hard diagnosis that they can't really swallow, but nobody knows. There are people who don't know how they're going to pay their rent at the beginning of next month, but nobody knows. Or there are people who aren't even sure if they really even want to be here anymore. And nobody knows. Nobody knows. Nobody's with you because nobody knows that you need them. There was a study released in 2021 that found 49%, nearly half of the people in this study said that they had three close friends. They felt like they had less than three close friends. And just 30 years before that in 1990, it was only like 20 something percent. That's a huge increase in people who are feeling lonely. We have a loneliness problem in our society. And so I mentioned the U.S. Surgeon General's office. They released an 80 page paper about the problem of loneliness. And it said that in it, it says that it's more dangerous to your health than smoking, than heavy drinking, than being physically inactive or being morbidly obese. A lack of social connection increases your risk of premature death by 60%. Wow. Loneliness increases premature death by 60%. Listen, if you are in this room and you are lonely today, it is not because you are unlovable. Right. It is not because you've done something wrong. 
wrong or you're not successful enough or you're not good enough. It's not that you are more difficult or more annoying than anybody else in this room. Everybody can be that way. It is not, that is not the truth. Your loneliness is a signal that you are missing connections that God has hardwired into our bodies. God has hardwired the need for connection. And when we don't get that, our bodies react to it. It is not good for us. It's not inevitable. So if you find yourself there today, like there is so much hope for you because you can take just a few simple steps to completely change your situation. You can find a group of people who can be your people. So today I wanna share three friends that you should have. Also, this is in the app if you wanna take notes. I put it in there, you can go to the app, go down to the notes section at the end, the bottom of the page, and it's right there. You can fill in the blanks. all right there, it's wonderful. And I'm gonna talk about three people. So listen, if you are one of those people that's like, I only have one or two good friends, you're on your way, you are, you're getting there. I'm only saying three people that you need in your life. So we're gonna be looking at this from the, the King David. We're gonna be looking at some of the King David's friends and people that he had in his life. And as you're listening to this, I want you to keep your heart open. Let the Holy Spirit speak to you. Who do you already have in your life that is this way? What are you missing? And maybe who could that person be? Uh, so the first friend of David's that we're gonna look at is Samuel. And Samuel made David better. And that's the first kind of friend you need. You need a friend who's gonna make you better. Somebody is going to make you better. So let me set the stage for this story. The Israelites were taken out of Egypt. They were slavery. They got rescued out of Egypt by Moses. They wandered through the desert for 40 years. They finally get to the promised land. And then there's just this season of them rebelling and God saving them, them rebelling, God saving them, them rebelling, God saving them. And finally they look around and we're like, we're done being saved by all of these judges you give us. We want a king. And God is like, well, I'm your king and they like, I, I want to be your king. And he tells Samuel, go tell them that a earthly king is not going to be a good thing for them. And so he does. And the, <laughs> the Israelites are like, nah, we still want a king. That sounds good. And so God's like, okay. So he tells Samuel to go anoint a king. He anoints this tall, dark and handsome man named Saul to be king. And he's a good king for a while. And then the power gets to his head and he starts to disobey and dishonor and disrespect God. So God's like, Never mind, taking my, taking my spirit from you. And so he tells Samuel, there's gonna be a new king. You need to go to the house of Jesse. This is where that king is gonna be. So Samuel goes to the house of Jesse and he sees Jesse's oldest son and he's like, oh, look at him. He's tall, dark, and handsome. This has to be the next king. And in his spirit, God goes, nope, that's not him. And so he looks at seven of Jesse's sons and every single one of them, God's like, you're looking at the wrong thing. I'm looking at the heart. You're looking at the outside. And it makes me think of Cinderella, like whenever the stepsisters are trying on their shoes and they're like, are you sure that there's nobody else here? Like Samuel was like, are you sure that there is no other son here? Because God has told me to come to this house. And Jesse goes, oh, I do have another one. He's out taking care of the sheep. Do you like, do you really want me to bring him here? And so he brings him here. And as soon as he sees them, this is what the Bible says. Uh, So as David stood there among his brothers, Samuel took the flask of olive oil and he anointed David with his oil. And the spirit of the Lord came powerfully, powerfully upon David from that day on, because God said, that's him. That's the king. There was nobody 
in David's life who saw him the way that God saw him, except Samuel. Samuel looked at David and he said, you're not a runt. You're not just a shepherd. You are going to be the king of Israel. That is what God has for you. And he called him up to that. You need someone like that in your life. It changed his whole life, his whole future. And this one person can do the same thing for you because do you have anybody in your life that is making you better? Do you have friends that are making your marriage better? Or are you hanging out with people that just like complain about their other spouse all the time? Do you have somebody in your life, like if you want to live healthy and you're just hanging out with people who are drinking like fish, that's not good for you. You need to be finding people who are going to call you up to what God has for you. If you want to be a better leader or have more control of your finances, like you need to be spending time with people who do those things because your friendships and your relationships are important. You are an average of your five closest relationships. So if you look around and you don't like your five closest friends, then you, maybe you need to get some new friends right, because you are going to be like them. Right. There's nothing you can do that's going to change that. Proverbs 27, 17 says, as iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. Good friends in your life are going to make you better. Right. You need those friends. So David also has a friend named Jonathan, and we all need a friend like Jonathan because Jonathan helped David find spiritual strength. You need a friend who's going to help you find spiritual strength. You cannot do the Christian life on your own because it's going to be hard. God doesn't promise us that it's going to be easy. He actually says it's going to be hard. You will face troubles. It's not an if, you will you need somebody that's going to help you find that strength. So we're going to fast forward in David's story. So he's been anointed. He's not yet king, but he is, he's serving in Saul's army. And he's, he's making a name for himself. People are starting to notice him. Uh, the Bible actually says that like he's actually gotten pretty tall and handsome. And the ladies are starting to notice. And so the ladies are out in the street and they're singing the song. And they say, Saul has killed his thousands. David, his tens of thousands. And so Saul hears that and he's like... I'm done. Absolutely not. David has to die. And he, he makes that decision that he is going to kill him. He's not taking my throne. God's not taking this from me. No way. So we're in chapter 23 of 1 Samuel now. And it says, one day near Horesh, David received the news that Saul was on his way to Ziph to search for him and kill him. Jonathan went to find David and encouraged him to stay strong in his faith in God. And Jonathan isn't just like any old friend. Jonathan is Saul's son. Jonathan is the prince of Israel who should, should be taking the throne from his father when his father dies. And yet Jonathan sees what's in David and he goes, this isn't about me. This is about you. You need to be strong in what God has said that you are going to do. And I'm going to help you do that. Jonathan believed in David so much that he put aside what was rightfully his in the world. And he put David first. And every single one of us needs a friend who is going to help us find that spiritual strength. We need a friend that when you feel like everybody else is walking away, when your life is falling apart and you don't know what to do, you need that friend who's going to come to you and they're going to say, hey, I'm with you. And I'm not with you because I'm looking for something for myself. I'm not with you because I want something out of this. I'm not with you for any other thing that I see what God has for you. I believe in you and you have to keep going. They're going to point you to God again and again and again, as many times as you need them to get that through, get you through that season. 
And Clint and I have a lot of friends like this. We have amazing friends who encourage us and spur us on. But there's one specific time that I thought about when I was preparing for this. So I, we've mentioned before, like, this was really hard. <laughs> we weren't sure, you know, two years ago that we were going to make it to a three-year birthday. That felt crazy. And in October 2021, I sat on our little fireplace and I wept and I begged God to release me from this calling. Like, you can't quit your calling, but you can beg that God lets you out of it because I was done. I didn't want to do it anymore. It was so hard. It was not just not fun. Like, I was miserable and I didn't want to do it. And um, as I was sitting there crying and weeping and asking God to let me out of this, our friends Keith and Carrie called. And you've heard us talk about Keith and Carrie. We love them. We're going to be together tonight in Texas. I can't wait. They are some of our very best friends. And this was when our churches were babies. They started a couple months after us. And we would call each other every Sunday night and just talk about, how was church? How are you doing? How can we pray for you? And we had never like hid that we were having a hard time. And so they knew where we were. And that night, I mean, we just let it out. And we're like, we don't want to do this anymore. We want to be done. This is hard. And I can't even tell you like the words that Keith and Carrie said. I don't know what they were this, you know, two years later. But I do know that by the time we hung up, I knew that we weren't let go. I knew that God had a plan for us. I knew that we needed to find our strength in him. Like they gave us so much spiritual strength. When we had no more faith, they let us borrow some of theirs because they believed in this so much that we were like, okay, like we're going to do this, God. You can do this through us. And you have to have those friends in your life. And I'm not talking about friends that are just going to listen to your problems and be like, oh, trusting God, it's going to be okay. Like not just that, but you need friends who are going to pray for you, tell you they're praying for you, speak scripture over you, tell you the truth of God's word. You need people who are going above and beyond to encourage you in the things of God. And listen, there's something that you've got to know about this kind of friend is it's going to require you to be vulnerable. And I know that that's hard for a lot of people, but people can't help you find spiritual strength if they don't know that you need it. If they think everything is fine and they think everything's hunky dory, why would they encourage you? Like that feel that might feel weird for them, but if they know that you're struggling and God gives them a word for you, they're going to be so much quicker to say, Hey, Remember, God's got you. Remember, I'm here with you. Remember, this happened, like stories from the Bible, scripture, whatever the Holy Spirit speaks through them, they need to know that you are struggling. And maybe you think like, but what if they think I'm weird? What if that's like too much? Like, I don't want them to feel like they have to carry my burden. What if they don't like me anymore? then they're not your people. Then they're not like, they're not your people because your burdens aren't going to be too heavy for the right people to carry. Your problems aren't going to be too much for the people that God has for you that are going to give you spiritual strength. They're not. If those people feel like you're too much, then they are not your people and you need to pray and you need to find better people. You need to find better people for you. You have to find friends who are going to give you spiritual strength. So the final friend we're going to look at is a man named Nathan. Nathan is one of the best friends that you can have and one of the hardest friends that you can be. You need a friend who will tell you the truth. You need a friend who's going to tell you the truth. They're not going to tell you what you want to hear, but they're going to tell you what you need to hear. So this is what happened with Nathan and David. David becomes king. He's a man after God's own heart. God is so pleased with him. But there was a moment when he took his eyes off of God and he put them on a woman who was naked on her roof named Bathsheba. 
And Cliff Notes version, he saw her, he wanted her, he got her because he was the king. She found out she's pregnant. Bathsheba's married. And so David's like, uh, uh-oh, this isn't good. And so he calls her husband in from battle where David should have been, by the way. He stayed home, but he called his, her husband in from battle and he tried to convince him to go spend the night at home because if he spent the night at home and then Bathsheba was pregnant, then, you know, like maybe it could be his baby. And he was just an honorable man. And he said, if my men are out on the battle lines, like I'm not going to go home with my wife. No. And so David's like, dang it. So he tried again. He invited him back the next night and he took it a step further and he got him drunk, got him drunk and was like, okay, now go home, go have fun with your wife. This is going to be great. And again, he goes, no, I'm not doing that. And so David doesn't know what to do. He doesn't want this to come out that he's made this decision. He's the king of Israel. And so he goes to the general of the army. And he says, I need you to put him on the front lines. And whenever the battle starts, I need you to call everybody else back, but him essentially just a death warrant. You know what I'm saying? One man cannot take on an army, but that is exactly what David told the general of the army to do. And so of course he dies. He dies, the husband dies, and Bathsheba comes to the palace to be David's wife. Oh, look, she's pregnant. Oh, look, we have a baby. And he thinks everything is hunky-dory. But there was a friend he had named Nathan. And so Nathan sat down with David, and he told David a little story. And he said, David, one time there was this, this sweet little shepherd, this little farmer who had a baby sheep, who was his best friend. He went everywhere with him and he slept in his house and he took care of him and he was his friend and it was wonderful. And then there was a rich man that lived next door and the rich man had tons of sheep, tons of donkeys, tons of all of the animals that they have in the Bible, tons of them. And the rich man had a, a villager friend come through town and it was time to feed him. The rich man did not want to kill any of his animals to feed his friend. So he took this poor man's one baby sheep who was his, his, you know, pet. And he killed that sheep and fed it to his visitor. And David, the Bible says that David was furious. David was furious. He said, as surely as the Lord lives, any man who would do such a thing deserves to die. He must repay four lambs to the poor man for the one that he stole and for having no pity. Nathan loved David enough to look at David and say, you are that man. The Lord, the God of Israel says, I anointed you the king of Israel and saved you from the power of Saul. I gave you your master's house and his wives and the kingdom of Israel and Judah. And if that had not been enough, I would have given you much, much more. Why then have you despised the word of the Lord and done this horrible deed? For you have murdered Uriah the Hittite with the sword of the Ammonites and stolen his wife. And all of a sudden David's like, Oh, wow. He had never seen it that way. He had never thought of it that way. But Nathan told him the truth and David was able to repent. He was able to repent from what he had done. And all of Psalm 51, it's just him repenting with this broken heart from killing Uriah and realizing that the heaviness of what he had actually done. But he was able to t repent and turn and live a better life because Nathan told him the truth. 
When was the last time a friend looked at you and said, ugh, that's a bad idea? Or maybe you shouldn't go there. Maybe you shouldn't do that. That's probably not the best for you. Or what you're doing isn't gonna work. Or hey, that attitude is actually hurting the marriage that's already struggling. Maybe, maybe th- there is a little bit of that, that's on, your, that's on your side, you can fix that. And these friends are critical. They are so critical. I remember I had a friend in Florida who I worked with. She came to me with tears in her eyes because she was so afraid of how I was gonna respond. And she said, hey, uh, she, was, she was my kind of supervisor, but friend. And she said, hey, I feel like I can't trust you to do the things that you say you're gonna do. I feel like if I ask you to do something like you might just forget to do it and that's really hard and I don't like it and I think that you can do better. And that sounds really silly, but like I had never even thought of that. Like it was so hard for her to say, it was so hard for me to hear, it was not comfortable, but it opened my eyes to like, oh, maybe it is a big deal if I, if I drop balls. Like in my mind, I'm like, oh, it's okay. I'll pick it back up. It's fine. Oh, maybe it is hurting other people. Or maybe I'm not being the best employee. Maybe I'm not being an effective ministry partner. Like maybe I'm not being the best wife or the best mom because I didn't even think that those actions affected other people. I needed that friend to tell me that truth so that I could change, so that I could become better and I can be more like who I am today. You need someone to tell you the truth. And so maybe you've heard all of these friends and you're like, yeah, that sounds cool. Like, I like the idea, but how do you find these people? Like, if you don't have these people in your life, how do you find them? And I'm so glad you asked. I'm so glad you asked. So one of my favorite games growing up was the Oregon Trail. Did anybody in here play the Oregon Trail? Yes! In school, you would get to the computer lab. I was like, Oregon Trail time, baby. This is great. And I loved it. Yes, so this is the version that I played. I know there was like a black screen with a green version. Older people might remember. This was the version I played. I say older. Listen, there's no... I know, I got a death stare. It's okay. It's okay. I'm just younger than some people, older than others. It's fine. This is the version I played. And I loved it because like you got to make all of these decisions that like, were you gonna make it to Oregon or were you not? Like it was so much fun. And typically if you died of like a broken femur or dysentery or whatever it was, you got to just try again, right? You got to just start from where you died and keep going. But sometimes we're quick to forget like the Oregon Trail was real life. That actually happened. People actually got to Oregon and it wasn't a game. It was life or death. Like if they died of dysentery, they they were dead. They didn't get to do anything. And we don't think about it, but like the Oregon Trail was a huge deal, a huge deal. And people like Lewis and Clark and fur traders and these people kind of like set the stage for what would eventually become the Oregon Trail. But it wasn't until 1843, a group of a thousand people left Independence, Missouri, which if you played the game, you know Independence is where you start the game. They left and they were like, we are doing this. We are taking all of our wagons and we are settling in what would eventually become Oregon. And so pieces of the trail had been blazed and it was fine, but they got to a place in Idaho and a person that was living there was like, you can't keep going. You have to, you got to tear down your wagons and just walk the rest of the way, which I can't even imagine. I hear that. I'm like, nothing. That sounds awful. So he said, you can't do this. And so this man who had joined their party along the way, he wasn't the leader. He wasn't somebody that set out from Independence, Missouri to like go and do this. He had just joined them along the way. He came and he said, no, we can do this. 
We can do this. We can get our wagons there. I'll lead the group. I, I believe in this. Let's do it. And so they had to chop through like crazy timber. There were points where they had to disassemble their whole wagons and strap them to the backs of donkeys to like walk through mountains. It's wild what they did. But the vast majority of those wagons made it to Oregon. They made it to Oregon and they used the trail that those wagons made to bring hundreds of thousands of people to Oregon through the Oregon Trail. And it was only possible because one person said, no, I believe in this. I can do this. I know that it seems crazy and I know that it feels like kind of too good to be true and it's going to be hard, but I think we can do this. And so when you are looking for these friends in your life, you have to be the one that goes first. Right. You ha somebody has to. Somebody has to put themselves out there. You have to go first. You need people. The, f the very fibers of your being, the way that God has wired you, you need people. And you have to do what it takes to find them. You're going to have to be the one that says, I can do this. I know it's hard. I know it's scary. I know it seems too good to be true. I know that things could go wrong, but I believe in it and I'm going to do it. You have to go first, even when it's hard. Even when people flake out on you because they're going to, you keep inviting, you keep investing, you keep doing those things. You have to prioritize finding these relationships. You've got to take the initiatives and make the plans and put yourself out there to build these relationships. You're going to have to lead with authenticity and you got to be vulnerable. You got to show people who you are, warts and all because that is when people feel truly known. If people only know the best things about you and what you like put on, you're not really known. And those are the relationships that it's gonna take. Those, you have to be fully known if people are gonna be able to tell you the truth, if people are gonna be able to speak spiritual strength, if people are gonna make you better, they have to know what's going on. It requires you to be vulnerable. You create these relationships leading by example. You've got to put yourself out there. You've got to talk about what's going on in your life. Confess the sins that you're struggling with. Talk about the wins that you're having with God. You have to put yourself out there. And scripture is full of verses that encourage us to live in unity and to talk with one another and carry each other's burdens. And those are all so good. But I think one of the most beautiful examples of this is in Matthew 26. And it's Jesus himself. So this is when he's in the Garden of Gethsemane and he's taken his friends and he uh, has said, please stay up. And when I was young, like every other, I feel like every other time I've read this, I've thought like, how, how could they not stay up with Jesus? How could they not be with him on such a hard night? And we were talking last night. He said, do you think that they even knew what was happening? And I was like, absolutely not. They didn't know. But Jesus looked at these guys and he was like, please stay with me. It actually says, Matthew 26, 38. He says, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. This is Jesus the night before he knows he's going to be killed. And not just like a quick death, but crucified on the cross. He knew his father was going to turn away. He knew that he was becoming sin for us. He looked at these three guys that he trusted, one of whom he knew was going to deny him. He knew that Peter was going to say, I don't know him hours from now, but he trusted Peter and he opened up his heart to them. And he said, guys, I'm not okay. I can't do this by myself. I am overwhelmed. 
I cannot carry what has been put on my shoulders. And honestly, like, I'm just really, really sad. And I know you can't do anything to fix it. I know that this is going to be hard, but will you please just sit with me here in this dark night until the morning comes? Please just be with me. That's the God of the universe because God, Jesus was fully God and fully man. So Jesus had this wired inside of him need for people. He had that and he is opening himself up to these disciples and saying, please just be with me. So if Jesus was doing this, I think this is really important for us to know. Needing people isn't a sin. It is not a sin to feel like you need somebody in your life. Needing people is not a flaw. Needing people is a feature of how God has wired us as humans. It is not a flaw. It is a feature of how God has created us. It is hardwired into us. The God of the universe asked these men to just sit with him through this dark night because we are created to need people. And so in his darkest night, he went first and he asked these guys to stay with him. And you're gonna have dark nights. Like I said earlier, God doesn't promise us easy days. He said, you will face troubles. You will face troubles, but take heart. You're gonna have dark nights. You're going to have financial stress. You're going to have challenges in your marriage. You're going to not know what to do with that kid that's walking away. You're going to not know how to fix this situation at work. You're going to lose jobs. You're going to have aging parents. You're going to have so many dark nights in your life and you're going to need somebody to sit in them with you until the morning. People have to know that you're in those nights. I have good news. This room is full of people who will sit with you in your dark nights until morning comes. There is somebody in this room who can make you better. There is somebody in this room who can give you spiritual strength. There is somebody in this room who can tell you the truth, but you have to ask. They have to know you. You have to go first and make those relationships a priority. You have to do that because you need people. You need people. It is not a flaw that you need people. It is not a weakness that you need people. It's not something that you have to try to fix in your life to make it where you don't need anybody. You need people. It is a feature of how God has made us as humans. So I want you guys to close your eyes and bow your heads. And I know that there are some people in this room who are like, I've got great friends. I feel so good and that's wonderful. And I am legitimately very, very happy for you. And I pray that those relationships, they get deeper and stronger. But I know that in a room this size, there are people who feel lonely. And statistics would say that the majority of us feel that way. So if you're in here and you feel lonely, I want you to know that you are not alone. No matter how lonely you feel, You're not broken, you're not needy, you're not too much, you're not annoying. You are a human being who is hardwired to need other human beings by the God of the universe. So if that's you and this is something you struggle with, I wanna challenge you to raise your hand and not because other people are gonna look around and I'm gonna go, oh look, all of these people are lonely. It's not that. It's that whenever we raise our hands and we acknowledge something, it's taking this, this deep, dark secret that we feel and it's bringing it into the light. And darkness loses its power when you bring it into the light. So if you're struggling with loneliness, if you are hoping that there is something that God can do for you this year in your relationships, if you would please raise your hand, I would love to pray for you guys. 
God, you see the hands in the room. You know their stories. You know that you've wired them to need people. And God, I pray that you put people in their lives who are going to make them better, who are going to strengthen them spiritually, who are going to just make them better people by telling them the truth. All of the things that you have for them. God, I pray that they would put themselves out there, that they would go first, that you would give them, uh, give them some wins, God. Bring those people, make it easy for them to find them. Make it easy for them to come together and to be stronger and better together. We are so grateful for the lives that you're gonna connect. We are so excited to see what 2024 is gonna bring. And listen, there are some people in this room who probably feel the ultimate kind of loneliness because you don't have a relationship with Jesus. Not only are we wired to know people and to be known, but we are wired to have a relationship with the God of the universe who created us. And until you do, there's this emptiness inside of you. And you might try to fill that emptiness with uh, relationships. Maybe you try to fill it with success. You try to fill it with possessions. You try to fill it with addictions. You try to fill it and it just keeps being empty because that spot is created for the God of the universe to fill the God that came to give you hope and to give you life and to give you eternity with him. I've got the best news. You don't have to live that way. You don't have to live with that hole and that emptiness in your life because Jesus came, he lived a perfect life, he died and he rose again so that you could have hope in your present and a future of eternity with him in heaven. And all he asks is for your heart. He asks that you would make him the Lord of your life and live for him. And listen, in the grand scheme of things, when you think of everything he has done and will do for you, that's really not that much. So if you've never started a relationship with Jesus and you want to do that today, you can pray this prayer. And this prayer is not magic. It is not magical words. It is just a hope that it would uh, help you put into words what God might be doing in your heart. So you can pray, God, thank you that I don't have to do life alone. Thank you for sending Jesus to live this perfect life and die for me so that I could have a real living relationship with you. And today I want to make you the Lord of my life. I want you to take the reins and in the best way I know how I'm going to live for you in Jesus name. Amen.